Welcome to the Church of Rocky Peaks downloadable messages and podcast. This week we continue our series, Changing the Way You Think, Paul's first letter to the Corinthians. And today's message is brought to us by our lead pastor, Mike Yearly, and it's entitled, Influence. Well, good morning again. It's uh, great to be back with you. Uh, Lynn and I were on vacation last week up at Shaver Lake in the Sierras and... and uh, uh, it's just good to be back. Remember, some of you remember last year we went to Shaver Lake and I got a, a ticket running a red light. Do you remember that? Uh, that that's kind of a tradition I have in the summer. And uh, and so this year uh, I was really good with the red lights, but I learned that there's a new law about we had the jet skis we'd borrowed, and there's there's laws. You know, jet skis have laws too. Uh, I didn't really know that. And um, this one day we're, we're, um, we're uh, out on the, uh, we've gone through the no-wake zone out from the harbor there and we're ready to take off and uh, uh, Brad was with me and, we, and, and I said, where do you want to go? He says, how about going down to the dam? I says, that sounds great. And so there weren't that many speedboats on this, uh, in this whole lake. And you know, speedboats are awesome because you get to jump the wakes, you know, from them when you're on jet skis. And so, and so uh, I see this speedboat go by in the distance. And so instead of going towards the dam, I just take off full bore. You know, I'm down there just, you know, over 50 miles an hour, just full bore, this thing going for the speedboat. And Brad's back there dying because it's a sheriff boat that I'm, I'm heading towards. And, and I asked him what it did. It say sheriff boat on it? And he, he said, big letters, the whole side, sheriff boat in it. And so I wouldn't have made any difference because I didn't know it was illegal. And so I'm just going full bore, you know, just down and uh, jump the wake and come on down and tear off. And I'm wondering why he isn't following me. Why is he missing this golden opportunity? And so I just, I'm headed down just full bore going the length of the lake. And, uh, and I turn around and after a while and I see there's this uh, boat. It looks like a sheriff boat, blue lights flashing. I'm wondering who are they chasing anyway? And and uh, so anyway, I'm glad to be back again. Um, <laughs> hope next year I'll have another story about your pastor breaking the law. Um, today we're continuing on this series in the book of 1 Corinthians. And so if you turn to chapter 9, um, I'll have a word of prayer and we'll, we'll get started as we continue uh, together through this book. Father, thank you so much for this church here at Rocky Peak and what you're doing in our midst and God, the plans you have for our future, I'm just so excited about that. And so today, Lord, we come together to your word. We circle around your word as if you're our rabbi and you're, you're your students. And we're, we're here with you and we're just all ears. Lord, we want to listen to what you would say to us as people and as your church here at Rocky Peak. And so, God, would you come and be our teacher? We're ready to learn to listen. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, today we come to chapter 9, and uh, chapter 9 is all about the topic of influence, how to be a man or a woman of influence. I'm sure we've all got people in our lives that we want to influence. It could be family people, family members. It could be uh, non-Christians that you work with or relatives that you've just been longing for years to bring to Christ, and so you want to have influence on their lives. It could be that they're uh, not uh, 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 non-Christian, but they're fellow believers, uh, someone who's walking with the Lord, maybe someone in your life group that you just really like to help them grow or something. And so this is a topic about influence and how to have greater uh, influence. Now, this uh, chapter, chapter 9, is part of a larger section of Scripture that goes through 8 through 10 that deals with this whole area of idol meat. And if you were here a couple weeks ago, Pastor Dave Cox talked about this. And uh, you remember the issue was in Corinth uh, whether it was okay for Christians to eat idol meat, uh, meat that had been sacrificed to idols. And Paul had said, hey, there's nothing wrong with the meat. Uh, they don't get contaminated, you know, in any way by the idols. And so it's really okay. He said, however, um, some Christians uh, aren't as mature. They don't understand that. And so they're really afraid to eat the idol meat. And he said, so if your eating of the meat is going to cause a younger, weaker, more immature brother or sister to uh, do something that violates their conscience... Uh, he said, then you, you should not do that. In fact, uh, if you have your Bibles, look in chapter 8. We'll look at the very uh, end of 8 where he leaves off. And verse 13. And he says, therefore, if what I eat causes my brother to sin, to fall into sin, I will never eat meat again. Now, it's a pretty big deal, isn't it? Never eating meat again. <laughs> That's a big deal. So basically, I will do whatever it takes to help people grow. See, one of our callings as believers in the body of Christ is to help one another grow. 
It's a high calling. One of our callings is to help people who do not know Jesus to come to Jesus. It's one of our top callings in life. And Paul says, if we want to be men and women of influence, we need to be willing to do whatever it takes, kind of give up our rights, give up our privileges, give up our freedoms in order, if it's necessary, to help someone grow. Now, this is such an important principle that the Apostle Paul wants to illustrate it in chapter 9 from his own life. Now, you know, as pastors, we do this. Sometimes we get up here, we're teaching on a topic, and then we say, like, like here's what not to do with your life. You know, don't jump wakes within 100 feet of, you know, uh, ski boats or whatever. Uh, you know, and so, so you teach a principle, and you say, here's how it works out, like in my life. And we might tell a good story of how we've done it well or a bad story of how we've not done it so well. But the whole point is you're illustrating the principle. Well, that's exactly what the Apostle Paul is doing here. He's given us this principle that we, to be men and women of influence, we need to be willing to give up our rights, our freedoms, our preferences in order to help other people grow. And now he wants to illustrate in chapter 9 from his own life. Now, to understand his illustration, you have to understand a little bit about the Apostle Paul. Paul made a a decision early in his ministry that he would not charge for his ministry. In other words, when he would plant a new church, he would not take a paycheck from that church. Now, this wasn't something for everybody. It's just something that as he was taking Christianity into new realms, he felt like this might undercut his effectiveness if he said, hey, Jesus is Lord, you need Jesus, and by the way, I need a paycheck. You see, he felt like this people might say, well, what's your motives in this? You know, are you like a TV evangelist or something? You know, it's just trying to rip us off. And so he had made the decision early on that when he would plant a church, he would not initially take a salary from them. Now, later on, he might take uh, money when he was moved on to another town, but he wouldn't take it then. So it's a very noble thing, but it actually had backfired on him. Uh, on, on him. There's nothing wrong with taking a salary. Most people did, but this has actually backfired on him. Because remember, the church of Corinth was often critical of Paul and his leadership. He wasn't a good enough teacher. Uh, uh, He he, uh, had false motives. He wasn't a real apostle. They had all these criticisms of him. And so there was some at the church of Corinth that were saying, hey, you get what you pay for. And the fact that he's not willing to charge for his ministry, it shows that he's not a real apostle. He's not worth listening to. And so this really highly noble thing that he was doing was actually backfiring on him. And so in chapter 9, he's going to do a couple things. First of all, he's going to establish that, you know, I really am an apostle. I have seen Jesus, our Lord. You are the result of my ministry. I have every right to receive a paycheck, but I'm not trying to get a paycheck. That's not what this is about. But I've chosen to give up my paycheck to help you grow. And it's an illustration of this larger principle that many times in life, we have to give up a freedom. We have to give up a preference. We have to give up a right that we have to help others grow. And so with that as an intro, let's jump into chapter 9 and uh, follow his argument. I think it'd be easier to follow now. Chapter 9 and verse 1 and 2. Now remember, they're criticizing him because they don't think he's a, some, not all of them, but some of them don't think he's a real apostle. And so he says in chapter 9 and verse 1, He said, am I not free? I mean, I can do anything I want, can I? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not the result of my work in the Lord? Even though I may not be an apostle to others, surely, I mean, I have to be to you. You're the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. In other words, you wouldn't even know Jesus if it hadn't been for me. I I can't believe you're questioning my calling when you wouldn't even be Christians if it wasn't for me. See how crazy it was. He says, now this is my defense uh, to those who sit in judgment on me. And by the way, as you notice as we go through the note sheet, I've broken the section of scripture, the whole chapter, into three sections. So we're in that first one of kind of Paul's right to to a paycheck. So he says in verse 3, he says, this is my defense to those who sit in judgment on me, those who are critical of me, in other words. He says, don't we have the right to food and drink? You know, Paul had a ministry team. He says, don't we have a right to financial support? Um. Don't we have a right to take along a believing wife with us? You know, uh, Paul had given up his right, as we learned in chapter 7, to have a wife. Remember? He, he felt that there was value in being single. He had the right to be married, but he'd given that up. So, so don't we have that right? As do the other apostles and the Lord's brothers and Cephas. That's another name for Peter. So he says, you know, most of the apostles who are out there planting churches, they have wives. They're getting paid. They, they're doing these things. Don't we have that right? Uh, or is it only I and Barnabas who must work for a living? And so now he's going to begin to defend his right to have a paycheck. 
And he's going to use several lines of argument. As if he's an attorney, as if an attorney would. He's going, to say, he's going to argue by common sense. He's going to argue by logic. He's going to argue by the Old Testament law. He's even going to argue by the teaching of Jesus himself. And so he says, starts off with common sense. He says, for example, who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Some of you have sons and daughters who have recently got in the military. And can you imagine going to sign up and to the recruiter says, no, this is great. We're really glad to have you in the army. But by the way, you're going to need to provide your own uniforms and you'll need to bring your own food. And of course not. You see, that'd be crazy. He says, so who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard and doesn't eat from its grapes? Who tends a flock and does not drink of the milk? I mean, it just makes common sense that a church would support their leadership financially. Verse 8. Now he says, that, do I say this merely from a human point of view? Is it just common sense? Doesn't the Old Testament law say the same thing? And he quotes the Old Testament in the book of Deuteronomy. For it is written um, in the law of Moses, there was this particular law, do not muzzle an ox while it's treading out the grain. So there was this law in the Old Testament that said when you're treading out grain from you know, your harvest and the, the ox is making the millstone go around, that whole thing. He says, don't muzzle the, the ox. Let the poor ox eat something. He's working for his living. You know, now Paul says, now, is that you think God is just concerned about oxen? I mean, isn't there a larger principle here? He's illustrating a principle of life. Verse 10, he says, uh, or in verse nine, is it about oxen that God is concerned? Surely he says this for us, doesn't he? Yes, it was written for us because the plowman who's out in the field, he plows and the thresher who's threshing the grain, they ought to do so in hope of sharing in the harvest. And now he says, now, this is just really an illustration, and he's going to apply it to, to his life. He says, if we, you know, his ministry team, if we have sown spiritual seed among you, in other words, we've come, we've taught you the word of God, we've taught you how to follow Christ, is it too much if we should reap a material harvest and financial support from you? And if others have this right of support from you, apparently they were paying other people, supporting other uh, ministers and pastors, he says, shouldn't we have it all the more? He says, but. We did not use this right. We gave up this right. On the contrary, we put up with anything rather than hinder the gospel of Christ. He says, now, now he thinks of another a couple examples. He says, oh, by the way, let me think of another couple examples of why I should get paid. <laughs> Verse 13, uh, don't you know that those who work in the temple, so this could be the Old Testament temple, you know, where the priests would serve and then they'd get, uh, they'd get uh, paid for that, or it could be in the pagan temples there in Corinth. Don't you know that those who work in the temple, hey, they get their food from the temple. And those who serve at the altar share in what is offered at the altar. In fact, in the same way, the Lord Jesus himself commanded that those who preach the the gospel should receive their living from the gospel. You remember when Jesus sent out the 12 disciples. He said, go out and spread the message. And when you come to a town, uh, find a house that's hospitable to you and live there and let them provide for you and take care of your food and so on while you share the gospel. And so Jesus had taught this principle that those who, uh, who, who spend their life uh, leading in ministry should get paid for it, you know. And so Paul's kind of laid out this whole argument here from common sense and from logic, from the Old Testament, the New Testament, and so on, teaching of Jesus. But in verse 15, he says, uh, but I have not used any of these rights. Now catch this. I am not writing this in the hope that you will do such things for me. I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of this boast. So Paul says, now the whole reason I'm saying this is not so you start paying me. Like, hey, you've been, you know, missed my paycheck the last three years. I want the back pay. That's not what he's about. He wants to establish his right, that he does have the right to getting paid because he's going to use it as an illustration of, from his own life of how he gave up this important right in order to help them grow. Okay, that's the whole thrust. So let's skip down to verse 19. And now we move into a different section of, on your note sheet from Paul's uh, right to a paycheck we move into a section called Why Paul Refused a Paycheck. So, so Paul, why didn't, if you deserve a paycheck, why didn't you take a paycheck? And the reason is this, it's part of a wider, bigger philosophy of a larger philosophy of life. So let's go down to verse 19. He says, Though I am free and belong to no man, I make myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. Now, if you mark in your Bibles, 
I would encourage you to bracket that verse or underline that verse, kind of the heart of this whole chapter 9 passage. This is the principle that we'll be spending time with. Though I'm free and I belong to no man. Paul says, I can do whatever I want. I can have a wife. I can a paycheck. I can come when I want. I can go when I want. Uh, I I can uh, eat what I want. I can drink what I want. I'm free. He says, but though I'm free, that I actually will give up those rights, my preferences, my freedoms. I'll make myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. It's to increase my influence in people's lives. And so he gives some examples. He says, so for example, to the Jews, when I'm with Jewish people that I'm trying to win, I become like a Jew. He says, I'm not a Jew. They have all these rules. Well, he says, I am a Jew. But he says, I'm no longer living under all those laws. They have all these rules about holidays and what you can eat and what you can drink. And they have all these rituals. He says, he says but you know what? When I'm with the Jews, I become like a Jew. I, I honor those, those laws. Says, uh, uh, that's fine with me. And he says, and uh, to those under the law, uh, which would also be, say, the Jews again, but also maybe Gentiles who had converted, he says, I become like one under the law, even though I myself am not under the law. So as to win those under the law. Because when I want more conservative people, I live by their rules. So they can have greater influence. Now here's the thing. We're going to talk about this later, but this is a very important principle of influence. Is that we are always more open to influence from people that are like us than people who are not like us. When you, when you see someone and you can relate to that person, I can really relate to that guy. The fact that you can relate to that guy, it makes you open to their person's influence in your life. And Paul understands this, and we'll talk about this later. But he says, that's why I will be Mr. Flexible. When I'm with Jews, I'll be like Jews. When I'm with Gentiles, more liberal, I'll be like Gentile. I'll do whatever it takes as long as it's not violating uh, the, the clear teaching of Jesus about who Jesus is or our core moral uh, code. So he goes on. In verse 21, to those not having the law like the Gentiles, I become like one not having the law. Though I'm not free from God's law, but under Christ's law. In other words, he says, I'll become as much like him as I can. I'm not going to go out and get drunk with the guys so I can relate. I'm under God's law still, right? But he says, I'll become as much like them as possible. So as to win those, uh, uh, so, so as to win those, not having the law. Now, verse 22. Now, here's an interesting one. This applies a lot to us here. Uh, just as a church, to the weak, I became weak. Now, what does it mean to be weak? Well, in the context in chapter 8, this idol meat issue that we've been talking about, a weaker brother was a brother who was more immature, more conservative, more legalistic, okay? So the weaker brother was someone who didn't eat, was not willing to eat idol meat because he thought it was contaminated. And that's the weaker brother, okay? And that's in, in the New Testament, the weaker brother is, is always the one who's more legalistic, the one who is more kind of, uh, uh, just doesn't kind of understand the freedom they have in Christ. And that's in the New Testament, it says weaker brother. And so he says, now this is interesting. He says, so when I'm with the weak, I become weak. And this is so interesting. And Paul is going to say that if you want to be a person of influence, the key is relating. And the key to relating is often giving up your rights. Now we're going to talk about this more later, but I want you to, I want to just get you thinking. I want to get your mind going right now. Okay? So if you're hanging around people, they all have tattoos. Would you be willing to get a tattoo in order to win them to Christ? I just, just get, I'm just going to get you thinking, okay? Some of you are going, yeah, I've got all kinds of tattoos. <laughs> now I'm talking to the other ones here, okay? Okay, we'll talk about you later. So verse 22, to the weak, I've become weak to win the weak. He says, I have become all things to all men that by all possible means I might save some. See, Paul says, I will, if it's not a, if it's not a black and white in scripture, a right and wrong issue, clear right and wrong, I will do whatever it takes to increase my influence with people. Verse 23, I do this all for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. Now, verse 24, now let me move into a new section here on your note sheet. 
Paul's final challenge. He's got one final challenge for them. And basically what he's saying, he's saying, Corinthians, you need to wake up. You need to come to the table here. You need to remember what's at stake. You're all into your rights. You're all into your freedoms. You're all into your liberties and your preferences. You know, you want to be able to eat meat whenever you want. Who cares if it offends a brother or causes them to fall away from Christ? He says, you need to wake up here. There are spiritual destinies in the balance here. He says, there are people that need to come to Christ. There are weaker brothers that if you just go ahead and pursue your freedoms, you're going to alienate them. They may fall away from Christ altogether. He says, you need to wake up. There's a lot at stake here. And he's going to ask him, you need to focus on forever. You need to focus on eternity. Sometimes we need to limit our freedoms in the short run of this life in order to reach more people in the long run. And he's going to use a couple analogies, athletic analogies. Now, remember... Corinth was on that little isthmus between the two parts of Greece, the north and south of Greece. And remember that they had these major games, second only to the Olympic Games, every couple years, every two years. They're called the Isthmian Games. And people would come from all over that area to participate and compete. And when the athletes would come in, they had to come in in shape. In fact, if they came in and they had not been training, and it was very strict, they had judges and rules, and you had to demonstrate you've been training like for nine months or whatever, and you had to be in shape. And if you weren't in shape, you were disqualified by the judges before the race even began. They said, you're not in shape, you can't race. So Paul is going to use that analogy. He's going to say, you know what? Here are these athletes out there. They're willing to give up their food. They're willing to give up their drink. They're willing to live disciplined lives. They're willing to hold their bodies under control. Why? So they can win this crazy little crown on their head that's made out of pine branches. And win the race. He says, we're running a different race. We're running for eternity. We're running to influence people. You've got sons. You've got daughters. You've got neighbors. You've got coworkers. We have a chance to influence. This is for, for everything. This is for eternity. Shouldn't we be willing to discipline ourselves and give up our rights like athletes do, but to reach a much greater goal? Okay, so that's going to be his thought. And so we pick it up in verse 24. He says, do you not know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Now we know this, right? There's only one gold medal. You don't get, you know, everyone doesn't get a gold medal. It's not like kindergarten. You know, everyone gets to be student of the month. It's like, you know, it's like there's only one. It's just so run to win. Run in such a way as to get get the prize. Now, he says, everyone who competes in these games, they go into strict training. And they do it to get this crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, he says, in my own life, I don't run like a man running aimlessly. He says, I don't approach my life with Jesus. It's like it's a spiritual jog, you know, like jog through the park. He says, that's not what it is. He says, I'm focused. I want to do whatever it takes to be a man of influence. I don't fight like a man beating the air. He says, I'm not shadow boxing. I'm not just, it's not like, you know, war games. No, he says, I beat my body like an athlete would. In other words, say, you, you discipline your body. I beat my body. I make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. Wow, isn't that great? That's why I want to live my life for eternity. I want to be willing. If I have to give up my paycheck, if I have to, be, if I have to not eat meat forever, if I have to go to jail for whatever it takes, I'll do whatever it takes to win as many people as possible. Now, you and I, we have people in our lives, right? You have, you have sons and daughters. You have relatives. You have coworkers. We have people in our life group. We, we're called as a church to be men and women of influence. It's to be a top priority. And so how do we increase our influence? That's our topic today. How do we increase our influence with those that we want to influence? And there in your note sheet, uh, that's the section we're going to be talking about. How to increase your influence for eternity. And we're going to look at uh, three principles that flow out of this passage from the Apostle Paul today. Number one, the first thing he says we need to do is we need to focus on what we have in common. Focus on what you have in common with the people that you're trying to influence. Now, this, of course, flows from his statement to the Jew, I'm like a Jew, to the Greek, I'm like a Greek, to the weak. See what I'm saying? He's saying if you want to influence people, become as much like them as possible. Kind of do everything you can to relate to them so they can relate to you. Because as we said earlier, when we're like people, they open up to us. They become open to our influence. So let me give you an illustration. Uh, Pat Nepley was up here today, our new director of children's ministry. And, and uh, last week we had a staff meeting, all our staff. 
And, uh, and so one of the things we did in that meeting was uh, spend some time for Rob Falk to share a little bit more about his background. And we interviewed Pat about her, her background. And, uh, and so one of the questions I asked Pat was, uh, Pat, could you share with us how you came to Christ, your spiritual story? And so she shared her story of how she'd grown up in a, in a pretty religious home, but had never really understood the gospel, never really kind of clear on that. And uh, as she was growing up, and uh, I think it was in high school, that she was going to Catholic schools. And one day she was asking uh, uh, one of the, they were studying the Bible, and she had a question. Something didn't make sense to her. And so she asked the question, you know, how does this fit? And, and she really got reprimanded by it. One of the, the leaders there, one of the nuns, just kind of really shut her down. You don't ask questions, and this is, you know, not the right thing to do. And boom, and shut her down. And it just so, you know, offended her. It's like, well, hey, if, if you can't even use your brain to follow God, this is not for me. And so she decided to become an agnostic. And she, that was, she was an agnostic in, in her college years. And it wasn't until her college years that she came across some Christians. It was the first Christians in her life that she could actually relate to. Uh, there were some active, there were some Christians that they were fun and they were funny and they were, they were good thinkers and they were fun to be with and they were interesting and, and they were kind, and she's like, she could really relate to it. First Christians in her life, she could relate to. All other Christians have been legalistic, not, you know, not fun, like a lot of Christians out there, right? It's like, uh, I'm going to heaven, but I'm not going to get happy until then. Um, I'm, I'm saving it, you know? It's like, hey, you know, <laughs> you've got Jesus, you have life, you know, you might want to experience it. But anyway, so, so it was the first time she had met Christians she could relate to. And because of that, her heart began to open up to their influence in her life. And they began to connect and they, she said, we, we have so much in common. I mean, we, we, they're like me. And as they're like me began to work in her heart, all of a sudden she's open to their influence of who Jesus was. And she came to Christ. Now, can I tell you something? That is the way it almost always happens. Not always, but that's the way it happens. Is that we are open to those that we perceive to be like us. And the Apostle Paul says, therefore, when you're trying to be, have an influence on someone, <coughs> whether it's your teenage son, whether it's someone in your life group, whether it's someone that doesn't know Christ yet, he says, you need to focus on what you have in common. You, you need to do everything you can to relate. Now, can I tell you something? This is often exactly the opposite of what we will do. That often what we will tend to do is we feel like to be a good witness for Jesus, what we need to do is let people know right off the bat how different we are, right? We will look for opportunities to show how different we are. Now, we do this for the great motives. Our motive is that, how, hey, how can they ever know that they need Jesus unless we know we're different? If they see me the same as they are, they won't know that they need Jesus. And so we, we look for opportunities to drop little comments or Make little things to let them know we're different than you are. And Apostle Paul says, no, 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 no. If you want to have influence in people's lives, focus on what you have in common. See, the message we want to get across is that, you know, you and I are not so different. We, we have a lot in common. You know, you're like this, I'm like this. You're like this, I'm like this. You're like this. We have a lot in common. And as we connect with them, they see the commonness. You see, now they become more open to the influence. Now, this has been a hard lesson for me to learn. And I'm still in the process of learning it very, very much. Um, I grew up in a, in a Christian church. And the message was that we needed to share Christ with people. We needed to be a witness. But the way you did that was focusing on the differences. We're different than you are. You're over there. You're sinners. We're over here. We're not sinners. We have got it together. You're all messed up. And so we would emphasize all the ways that we're different. You do this. We don't do that. You do this. We don't do that. And so pretty soon they're like, you're, yeah, you're different, but you're just weird. Right? And so many times in the church of Jesus, we've connected weirdness with holiness. The weirder you are, the more effective witness you are. Boy, they are bold. They're not bold. They're just weird. You see, there's a difference. And so this has been, and I remember when God was, was uh, beginning to teach me this lesson, largely out of this passage here, to the Jew, I become a Jew, to the Greek, I become a Greek. This whole thing, teaching me this. I remember distinctly one event I was at uh, many years ago. It was a family gathering, like one of those, you know, large family gatherings. And there was, you know, some people that are Christians, some people not Christians. And I'm always on high alert when I'm at family gatherings. You want to be influenced. I want to have an influence for Christ. And I'm not saying I'm real good at it, but, you know, I just, you know, want to be an influence. And so um, I remember this one particular case, and there was this one relative there. And I would describe him as, as kind of a granola person. Now, you know, you know what I'm talking about, granola? Um, usually you wear Birkenstocks. Um, it's, it's kind of like, it's sort of like hippies today, you know? 
And so, you know, your Birkenstocks, uh, you, you kind of eat healthily, eat health foods, uh, you know, you hug trees, uh, this, this sort of thing. You know, it's, it's, it's kind of a granola type. You, you get in the picture here? Now, the interesting thing is that I actually have a lot in common with, with Mr. Granola, you know? Um, because, because I'm a Christian, a lot of my values will match up to certain ways to that. For example, uh, you know, that uh, he would be uh, for protecting the environment. I would be for protecting environments, God's creation. Uh, he would be a person that uh, feels uh, relationships are really important. In fact, relationships are more important than things. So he's not a materialist. And I would agree with that, right? And that's something we have in common. And he loves studying history. And I like reading about uh, history. And uh, he loves, uh, like, Lord of the Rings. And, and, like, I love Lord of the Rings. And, and so there's things. He, he loves helping people. And I, you know, I love helping. And there's, so there's a lot of things that we have in common. But, of course, there's a lot of differences aren't there? He's not a believer. I am a believer. So I mean, socially, morally, politically, we're often on different sides of issues, right? Okay. And so I'm sitting there this, this uh, one night and he's telling a story about, he, he, of course, he lives in the woods, you know, and so in kind of, a, you know, a rural place, a rural place in the woods, you know, of course. And so uh, he lives in the woods and he's sharing this story about how on Wednesday nights, and it's another state long ways away, and, and, Wednesday, and on Wednesday nights, uh, he has this group of guys he gets together with, and they go out in the forest and they brew beer together. And, and you know, and, and they're not getting drunk or anything. It's not that sort of a deal, but they just, you know, they, they, they brew beer and they have a couple beers and they just share their lives and stuff like that. And, and as he's sharing this story that night, and this is, go back with me that night, okay. As he's sharing this story, I feel myself pulling away from him. Now, why was I pulling away? I was pulling away emotionally because I didn't want to think that he and I are the same. I want him to know there's a difference. I'm a Christian, you're not a Christian. And so I didn't want to kind of baptize his life group. See his Wednesday life group, the beer group? (laughs) I didn't want to baptize and say, that's a really cool thing because I thought if I thought it was a real cool thing, then he'll think, well, you and I are the same. And Paul's going, exactly. Exactly. The more we're similar, the greater chance. And you see, what an opportunity I had. What I could have done is said, that's really awesome that you get with a group. And there's, I mean, one of my passions is as men, we often don't have the relationships that we need, right? We often live isolated. I love it when guys get together with guys and develop friendships and share their life together. I'm real passionate about that. And that's what he's doing. And I could have connected on that. And I could have said, that's awesome that you get out there. How many guys come out? You know, well, what do you talk about? Hey, well, what's like one of the best memories of those, those, uh, those Wednesday night things? You know, well, how long does it last? See, I could have connected. And then I could have said, hey, you know, I'm, I'm in a men's group too. And we do this. And this is what we do. And, and, and we just could have connected there on that level. See, I had a perfect opportunity to connect it. But I blew it because I was afraid that if I connected, he would think that we are the same. And then I, he wouldn't need Jesus. And Paul says, no, no, no. Look for opportunities to connect with people. Because when you connect and, and your next door neighbor starts seeing that, hey, we have a lot in common. You have young kids. I have young kids. You like that radio station? I like that radio station. Uh, you went to college here? I went to college over here. You're struggling with your finances? I'm struggling. As they begin to connect and they start to see you as someone that they can connect with, it opens them up to our influence, you see? And so what Paul says is when you're trying to influence this, and this works for your kids, I'll tell you many times, we try to influence our teenagers and we spend no time with them and we don't understand their world. It's like, why should they listen when you think that your way is better when you don't even understand their way? You see? We take time to connect with people, whether it's our kids, whether it's a non-believer, someone in your life group. Well, we take time to connect with them before we try to change them. It opens up the opportunities for influence. Okay, so number two. The second principle is, is that uh, if, we want to, if we want to relate to people, then we need to get, get ready to give up your rights. That to relate to others, there's going to be times you're going to have to pay a price for that, and the price is often giving up your rights. See, this is what Paul did in this chapter. He says, you know what? I was willing to give up my right to a paycheck in order to connect and have greater influence. He's, he's talking to the, uh, to the Corinthians. He says, you know what? I need you to at times be willing to give up 
your filet mignon at the, uh, the, the idol meat in order to connect with your weaker brother in the body of Christ who thinks that if you eat that, that you're, you're worshiping idols. He says, there's times in our life we need to give up our rights and our privileges to have influence. So if you want to relate to your neighbor, relate to your kids, relate to the, the believer in your life group that you think needs to change the area, sometimes it's going to require giving up some rights. And this is not easy to do. It sounds easy sitting here. It's like, oh yeah, that's good. But when it really comes, even when it's small things, it is so hard to do. This is just so, so hard. Uh, for example, let's say that, uh, that you uh, go to, to ball games uh, and you go to the Dodgers Stadium and you love to get, uh, to, you, know, you don't get drunk or anything like that, but, but you love to get, uh, you have a hot dog, a Dodger dog, and a beer. It's just like, that's your thing. And, and now you have someone new from your life group going, and you don't know where they stand, and you don't know their background, and you don't know if they have an alcohol problem or not, and you don't know how they feel about alcohol, and they might have come from a very conservative church that feels a Christian should never drink, and that's a sin to do, and you don't really know about that. And you're sitting there, and you're trying to decide, should I order my beer today or not? Can I tell you, it sounds so stupid, but when you're there, it's a big deal. It's like, whoa, it's just not a game without that beer. You know, it's like, and why just go home and listen on the radio? You know, it's just, you know what I'm saying? Isn't that true? It's, these things in our life, um, there's areas that in our life that, uh, let's say you're in a life group. And there's someone there that is, is like really way more conservative or more liberal than you are. And you think that they're just out of line and you need to correct them. You feel like someone needs to tell them, you know? But you realize that if you tell them, that it might break the relationship because you don't have that close relationship yet. And so it might break the relationship. And so you're going to have to bite your tongue. You're going to have to not say that thing. And it might be really hard. I mean, they're out there and they're talking about, well, Christians should never do whatever the thing is, you know. There's some Christian, let's pick a safe one, Christmas, okay, and there, there's some Christians out there who believe that because Christmas has roots originally in the, the worship of, of uh, Jupiter and Saturnalia and this whole thing, that today Christians shouldn't, we shouldn't celebrate Christmas. And there's not a lot of them, but you'll come across people like this from time to time. And so a very conservative point of view. And then your life group, and they're expressing this. And how, what do we do? At that moment, doesn't everything within you want to correct them? And just say, that's just crazy, or that's really lame, or something edifying like that? I don't understand how such a nice person could be so lame. You know, something to just really build them up, you know? You see? And at that moment, isn't it, it's hard to bite our tongues, isn't it? it? This whole thing of giving up freedoms voluntarily is hard. It is hard. And yet Paul says, this is what we have to be willing to do to increase uh, our influence. Look with me at chapter uh, 9 and verse 19. We underlined this before, but I want to just drive it home. Though I'm free and belong to no man, I make myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible through the willingness to give up our freedoms in order to increase our influence. Great story. One of the greatest stories in, in the history of missions is about a very famous missionary in the 1800s. His name was Hudson Taylor. Some of you study missions, you know that name. And he was one of the first missionaries, I think he was the first one, to take the gospel into mainland China. And in that day, uh, you know, it was, you need to go back now 150 years or whatever, 200 years, is that, you know, China was very separate from the rest of the world. And so they, you know, they had their own way of dressing. And you know how the men would wear, they'd kind of shave the first half of their, their head and then just have the black long ponytails in, in the back. Looks kind of like Hollywood Boulevard today, but... Um, uh, they just, they just kind of have this different hairstyle and they had all these very fancy clothes and silk clothes and the pointed shoes and the whole thing. And so Hudson Taylor's taking in there. And after being there a few years and sharing the gospel with these people, he's realizing that his dress is really limiting him. It's, it's impacting because he, he's a European. He looks like a European. And so it's sending the message to the audience, to his people he's sharing with that to become a follower of Jesus, you need to become a European. See, that's what, what they're, we're hearing. And so he really prays about this, and he actually took a lot of flack for it, but he makes this decision that, you know what? I'm going to become as, as Chinese as possible to reach the Chinese. 
a Jew to the Jew, Greek to Greek, Chinese to the Chinese at that time. And so what he does is he shaves his head. He dyes his hair, goes with a long ponytail. He wears the, the heavy uh, silk clothing. He goes with the shoes that are very painful uh, for him because he's not used to wearing them. It's very awkward, very uncomfortable. Why would he do that? Because to the Jew, you become like a Jew. He would give up his rights. He'd give up his comfort. He'd give up his freedom. He'd even give up his identity as a European. He would give it all up to increase his influence. You see, that's what we call a missionary mindset. When a missionary goes to the mission field, if they want to be effective, they don't go in and say, okay, I'm from America. Here's our music. Here's how we worship God. Here's our food. Uh, we need hamburgers here. Uh, uh, here here's, uh, here's the way we dress. Here's the way we do this. Oh, stop that dancing. We don't dance, except on Dancing Generation. We don't dance. Um, and so, no, no, no. You see? No, no, a missionary mindset, you come in and you become as much like the culture as possible you're trying to reach without violating any core teachings of Jesus or any core moral values. You become as much like the culture, the target culture, as possible to reach them. And Paul says, guess what? That's not just for missionaries, that's for you, that's for me, that's for all of us. That we'd be willing to give up our rights, our preferences, our freedoms to become more influential. How about you? Let me tell you an area where this rub for me. This has been a, a really challenging message for me to prepare because I realized an area that this is really hard for me. Uh, one, probably I picked this up. One of my core values here, and it's a core value for our church, is that we'd be a church that when the word of God is clear, we would be really clear. On the black and whites of scripture, no compromise. Popular, unpopular, that's where we're standing. But in the areas where the scripture is not clear, what's sometimes called gray areas, areas where good Christians who read the Bible disagree, and that we would give freedom in those areas. So, so that I would never, as your pastor, say, thou shalt not, unless the Bible says thou shalt not. And I should never say thou shalt unless the Bible says thou shalt. You see, it's a core value for me that we would be really clear in the black and whites, give freedom in, in the gray areas. And so what's hard for me is when I'm around, especially Christian leaders, not so much Christians uh, who are uh, not leaders, because they just might not know better, but I'm around major Christian leaders who are very legalistic. That's hard for me. It's hard for me. It just rubs me. I grew up in a more legalistic background to some degree, and it's just the freedom we have in Christ is a core value. And so the Lord, I think, is challenging me. Okay, okay, Mike, so, so like, let me paint a picture for you. Let's say that I called you to do a series of uh, retreat or a, uh, meetings or whatever in the deep south, let's say. And you go to this very traditional church, and you walk in, and you notice it's all white people. Uh, no minorities here. No one's, there's no signs in the door saying minorities go home, but... You can tell. It's like, this is, okay, very, everyone's uh, big choir, all choir robes, we're, uh, you know, all singing, all hymns, extremely traditional. Everyone's got a tie on. Uh, all, very legalistic. Christians never do this. They never do this. They never do this. Extremely legalistic. Everyone's got a King James Bible. In fact, their teaching is anything other than a King James Bible is from the devil. Okay? Now, now I'm not making this up. This is really, they're really, this is the way it is in many places, okay? And this is the church, and God says, I want you to go and minister there to them. Are you willing to be a Jew to the Jew? I'm like, are you willing to give up your freedoms and give up your opinions and give up your things and say, well, you know, if these are Christians and they're my brothers, and I'm going to go and try to help them grow in the very best way I can, and I'll wear my tie and I'll use a King James Bible, and I'll sing their music, and I'll, I'll do what, and I'll, I'll live by their laws, and we go out to dinner, I'll drink what they drink, and I'll eat what they'll eat, and I will submit to that because I want to help them grow. You see? Oh, it's so easy, isn't it? It's so easy. Many times do you see someone who's more conservative, and we look down our nose at them, and we lose our influence. Someone more liberal, we cut them off. You know, we, we're not going to have a relationship with them, you see? And the Apostle Paul, so what about your life? Well, let me give you some examples. Now, none of these may have fit exactly, but there's some great examples, I think, just to get your mind thinking. See how it applies to your life. Um, would you be willing, like Hudson Taylor, Taylor, to change the way you dress if it meant being more effective? Um, if God called you to a church that everyone wore suit and ties, would you be the one person that goes casual? And maybe they'd let you come, but you'd lose any right to influence in that setting. You know, that you never lead a ministry, you'd never be able to serve someplace because they just see you as like, there's something wrong with that person, you know? Hey, if God called you to a church where, 
where they wear sandals. Praise the Lord. Um, and that's not your back. Hey, would you be willing to go more casual to increase your influence? See? Um, would you be willing, if God called you to work in an area where everyone had tattoos, to get a couple tattoos, to have greater influence? Um, if you have tattoos, you have piercings, would you be willing to get rid of those tattoos or those piercings if God called you to influence people that you'd have greater influence without them? Here's one. Um, if God called you to, to minister in Germany where all the Christians drink beer, would you be willing to share a beer even if your, your value here is that you think it's better not to? Would you be willing if God called you to that Dodger game with people you don't know to give up your beer? For the, you, you, see, you get, kind of get the mindset here. Um, here's one. Some of you ladies, you know, we live today in a very immodest age. And, and what I find in talking to Christian women, most Christian women have uh, no intention of like being seductive or sexy or trying to uh, tempt men. That's not their, their goal. They're just kind of wearing the fashions of the age. It's just kind of the thing. And yet, many times uh, that Christian women will have no idea how what they're wearing, the impact that it has on Christian guys, the level of temptation in the sex-crazed culture that we're in. And, and, and so, ladies, would there be times in your life where you would be willing to dress more modest than you think is appropriate for the sake of the brothers in a, in a fellowship or whatever? You see what I'm saying? And you say, well, why should I do that? Just because they have a problem, why should it influence me? Exactly. That is the whole point of chapter 9, is that we give up our rights and we give up our freedoms for other people's issues. You see? See, it's a mindset. Are you willing to go into a life group and have someone there that is just way more conservative or more liberal than you, but you realize that you're going to bite your tongue See, the most spiritual thing we can often do is bite our tongue, that we're not going to get into that political issue. They're voting for this candidate, and you're thinking, how can you vote for that candidate? They're for this and those. And, and so you're going to charge in on week two of a life group and say, what are you thinking? And all of a sudden, they quit coming to the life group, and they quit coming to church, and they fall away from Jesus, and they never get plugged in again. You see, Paul says there, is, there are spiritual destinies at stake in these matters. Are we willing to limit our freedoms in order to increase our influence? Now, number three, just real briefly. Number three, the third principle, he says, is keep your eyes on the prize. This comes from that last section that we studied, this, this analogy of a race. Paul says we're in this race, it's a spiritual race, and there's a lot at stake. There's spiritual destinies and the balance. And so in the midst of all the distractions in life, he says, don't forget what life is about. Life is about learning to passionately pursue Jesus Christ and please him. That's what life is about. And about helping others to do the same. That's what life is about. And amidst all the bills we pay and the jobs we have, and the commutes we have, and all the things that, that are conspiring to, to forget, to help us forget that. He says, don't forget what life's about. We're in a race. And so look what he says in chapter 9 and verse 24. So he says, in your life, keep that in mind. Uh, do you not know that in a race and all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? So run in such a way as to get the prize. Now, what does that mean, Paul? Verse 27. Well, it means if you have to, he says, I'll, I'll beat my body. I'll make it my slave. If I go to the idol temple and there's, there's a wedding there in one of their back banqueting rooms, I'm invited to the wedding and I'm in line and they're cutting the filet mignon and I see Bob there. You know, conservative Bob, the guy in my life group who thinks if I eat the filet mignon, I'm going to hell. He says, when I get up there in the buffet line, I'll ask for the Brussels sprouts. Whoa. Yeah, now we're talking, right? Now we're relating. He says, I, I, I will discipline my body. I'll beat my body. He says, I... I'm willing to give up my paycheck. I'm willing to go to jail. I'll, I'll do whatever it takes to reach people, to increase my influence, you see? As we go through this series, every week we're asking the question, what does it mean to think like Jesus? 
And how do we need to change the way we think to be like Jesus? Well, here, the lesson this week, Paul says, okay, if you want to be like Jesus, you want to think like Jesus, then here's the deal. That if you want to be mature, maturity is not about insisting on your rights and your freedoms and your privileges, your preferences. Maturity is about being willing when necessary, not when unnecessary, but when necessary to give up our rights our freedoms, our preferences, if it's what's required to influence someone else, to help them grow or help them come to Christ. Okay? Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for this church, and thank you, Lord, for the calling on this church to be a church of influence. Thank you for the calling on our lives, God, that our lives matter, they make a difference, that we're not to run through life, just jogging spiritually through life, that our lives have purpose, and that if we run well, we will have impact that lasts for eternity. God, as as grocers in stores, as hotel clerks, as gas station attendants, as attorneys and construction workers and stay-at-home moms, that you've called us to have lives of significance and lives that make a difference But in order to do that, that we have to be willing to relate. And sometimes that means even require giving up our rights in order to connect with people. So Lord, we pray that as a church, we would run the race that's before us, that we would stay focused on the prize. We would remember what life's about, that spiritual destinies are in the balance. And whether it's in our life group or our office place, our neighborhood, God, that we would be doing all we can to connect and to relate so that we can be people of influence. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. You know, God has called us to be men and women of influence, to let our light shine. And to do that, so many times, we need to connect with the people around us. Sometimes that means, whether it's our teenage son or daughter, whether it's uh, a college student at work, whether it's uh, someone we work with in the neighborhood, sometimes that means that we have to limit our freedoms in order to relate. And in that process, a door is open for influence May God be working in your life to increase your influence this week, whether you need that at home, whether it's in the marketplace, your neighborhood, in the community, or in your church, that God would be teaching us as a church that we would grow up and have the maturity. At times, we have to give up our freedoms. At times, we have to give up our rights, give up our privileges in order to influence someone forever. And isn't that what it's all about? God bless you. Have a great week, and we'll see you next weekend. Well, that's going to do it for this week's message. We hope you've enjoyed it as much as we have putting it together. Please visit us at rockypeak.org where you can download more messages or have your questions answered. Remember, you can subscribe to our weekly podcast for free by searching for The Church at Rocky Peak from within the music store in your iTunes software. For Lead Pastor Mike Yearly and everybody up here at The Peak, thanks for listening.